We recap a wild week one of 2022 NFL action, talking about the craziest finishes and more coming up next year on Locked On NFL. You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And it's Monday, so you have me, Kevin Ostrecker, the host of Locked On Ravens. And today we're going to be breaking down the wild action from week one. Of course, we are here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And thank you so much for making us your first listener today here on Locked On NFL. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube. We are available on all platforms, including over in video form on YouTube, but week one was a crazy, crazy slate of games for Sunday. Tons of wild finishes and what a week to be a field goal kicker. Not, not a great one. Not a great one. We're going to be talking with our hosts from around our network, talking about some of these wild, crazy finishes in the first segment. We'll be talking with Patricia trainer of locked on giants, the giants eking out a close victory over the Tennessee Titans, the number one seed in the AFC last year on a missed field goal by Titans kicker, Randy Bullock. We'll talk with her about Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, and more in the second segment. We'll be diving into the Steelers escaping the Cincinnati Bengals with Chris Carter, of Locked On Steelers in just a wild and unforgettable instant classic game with blocked extra points, missed field goals, overtime. So we'll talk with Chris about that in the second segment. Finally, we'll round out the show by diving into a conversation with Cody Davis of Locked On Texans. We have our first tie, our first tie of the NFL season already between the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts. We'll be diving into what it means for the Texans and how they squandered away a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter. So let's now dive into our first conversation with Mr. Trainer of Locked On Giants. Well, what a week for NFL kickers over the course of week one of the 2022 NFL season. A team that benefited from a kicker's miss is the New York Giants squeaking out a win over the Tennessee Titans, 21 to 20. Here to break it down with me is Patricia Trainer, the host of Locked On Giants. Patricia, the Giants eat this one out. Emotions must have been running pretty high over the course of those last two minutes. How are you doing after that game? I'm I'm uh, exhausted. I, I mean, that was a wild ride. It was like a roller coaster. You thought, oh my gosh, here here we go again. Because look, the Giants community, we're so conditioned to something going wrong and the Giants losing. But boy, what a game that was. It was it was unbelievable. And the fact, again, this team now want to know knocking off the Tennessee Titans, who were the number one seed in the AFC last year. Not many people gave the Giants a chance in this one. They fought and fought in this game. And I wanted to start, Patricia, with the performance of Daniel Jones. I mean, how would you grade his first game of 2022 here? 17 to 21, 188 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. What did you see out of him? I would give him a B. I thought for the most part, you know, they didn't ask a whole lot of him. Um, he did it with some of the receivers that he threw to a lot in, in training camp. He did have the bad interception in the end zone on a ball intended to a well-covered Barkley. That was a, a head scratcher that made me wonder what the heck he was looking at. But for the most part, I thought Daniel did a good job with his decision-making. Um, there were a few design runs where he slid feet first. Thank goodness. Um, a couple times he started a little early on his slide and came up short. But, you know, the big thing for Daniel Jones is he pulled it off. He went from game manager to game winner and he engineered, you know, that that game winning drive 
and it was up to the defense to, you know, to hold it, which they ultimately did by virtue of that missed kick. Um, so, so yeah, a very positive performance from Daniel Jones. His numbers aren't going to, you know, get him player of the week honors, but um, I think the Giants have to be overall happy with what they saw from him. Yeah, and I know another player the Giants are happy from what they saw. That's Saquon Barkley. And I know the career of Saquon Barkley has been very up and down. More recently on, on the downswing, he had a phenomenal rookie season last two years. Pretty snake-bitten with injuries and efficiency. But he came he came to play in this game, Patricia. 18 carries, 164 yards in a score. Also contributed six catches for 30 yards through the air. I mean, people have been wondering, is this the year Saquon is going to be back? Well, Patricia, is Saquon Barkley back? I think based on what we saw tonight, yes. Now, you know, I saw a bunch of differences in Saquon, uh, starting with the fact that I thought he was a lot more patient with his runs. In other words, you know, in the past, he's always been quick to find that escape hatch to, you know, out athlete, if you will, other, you know, the defenders. But this time he followed his blocks. I thought the play calling helped him. There were a lot of misdirections and stuff to to get him away from the teeth of the defense and get him into space. So I think overall, the whole package, what we saw is what Barkley is, has always been capable of doing. He just kind of needed that extra help with the, the play calling. Um, he needed to just realize that, hey, look, you can't always outrun guys. Sometimes you got to be a little smart. You got to follow your blocks and be patient. And I think we saw that with him and the numbers were there. I think this was his third highest career total rushing yardage. And, uh, you know, what better way to start off the season for Saquon Barkley? Right. And the Giants, they have the new coaching staff over there. Brian Dable taking over the head duties. How'd you like his first game? I liked it. I mean, Dable, you know what? Um, a lot of people were going to, would have said, uh, with that, two-point conversion call they're like what are you doing man just play exert you know get it into overtime that shows that Dable backed up what what he's been saying all along and that is he's got confidence in this guys you know you go back to last year and you know the the famous two in a row what was it like fourth and one or something like that and, and they call a, a draw which showed no confidence at all in the players well Dable's like okay you know what we're gonna go for it and we're gonna get it so he's showing the confidence in the players and, you know, he's putting these guys in the best possible position to succeed. And guess what? They were, they, they rewarded his faith in him in them and they gave him a game ball actually after the game, because, you know, it was a team win, but he was offered the game ball for, you know, not only his first win as an NFL head coach, but for basically steering them in the right direction, keeping the spirits up and just believing in them. Right, and another coach who got his first win in the Giants uniform, if you want to call it a uniform, is Don Martindale, the Giants' new defensive coordinator coming over from Baltimore, known for his aggressive blitzing style. Patricia, what did you like from what you saw out of his defense? I like how he adjusted uh, throughout the game. In the beginning you know, of the game, the Titans were kind of having their way with, with the Giants, particularly in the, the, the uh, inside linebackers, which right now is the weak spot on the team. But Martindale adjusted – uh, moved guys up a little bit, you know, did a great job against Derrick Henry. I think they held Derrick Henry to 82 yards on 21 carries. Um, overall, the Titans rushing game, 93 yards on 26 carries. That's just unheard of for that group. So Martindale was smart. He, you know, he wasn't overly aggressive. We thought maybe we would see blitz after blitz after blitz. We didn't see that. 
We just saw a lot of smart execution. And I should add that he didn't have his top two pass rushers in Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau, both of whom were inactive because of injury. But still, he found a way to make it work. You know, the Giants weren't gashed on the edges. They were they were pretty stout. And, you know, other than, like I said, the play of the inside linebackers with the coverage, which we kind of knew was going to be a weakness going in, Martindale seemed to have an answer for everything that the Titans threw at him. Yeah, and I want to go, Patricia, to the last offensive drive and the last defensive drive for the Giants at the end of this game here. They obviously go out on the field, score the touchdown, pick up the two-point conversion, and also they limited the Titans just enough for Randy Bullock to go out there and miss that field goal, then allow him to get in the end zone. I mean, what did you like and not like from those two drives at the end of the game? I like the fact that the Giants weren't laying down. You know, sometimes towards the end of the game, you, the game, you, you you sit there and you say, okay, let me, you know, just let's get to the end of the game and let's just, you know, call it a day. And the Giants were, you know, they didn't take their foot off the jugular, which is what I like. Now, the defense, they were kind of, you know, having some problems there. The Titans were able to move the ball. And, yes, by by luck, you know, by by luck of a missed kick, um, it did make the difference in the game, but they never gave up. You know, you didn't see anybody give up. You didn't see anybody say, oh, my God, let's just get this into overtime and, we'll, you know, we'll start fresh. So I like that the Giants finished. They finished on offense. They finished on defense. They did get a break, which maybe in the past they might not have gotten. And they come away with um, a, a win. The first time they have won in week one in the regular season since 2016. And also, I think the first time in a few years, I want to say since, um, I, I don't want, actually, I don't want to give you a wrong number, but this is the first time in a while the Giants have been at over 500 uh, in a season. Well, yeah, and, and a win like this can really spark a, a run or a great start to a year. I mean, where do the Giants go from here, Patricia? Because it seems like they have confidence in themselves, the coaching staff having confidence in the players, as you mentioned. So, I mean, what's next for this team? Well, they have some things they have to clean up. Special teams was not very good. They had some coverage issues uh, with players not staying in their lanes. You know, lane integrity was a big issue. Um, the pass protection and especially in the first half, wasn't really solid. Like I mentioned, the play of the inside linebackers. Um, the cornerback play was not too bad, but, you know, there were some issues there with some penalties. So there's definitely stuff to clean up, but there's a lot of good, a lot of teaching moments that they can build on, you know, from, from the gutsy come-from-behind win to, you know, being patient with the in the pocket from you, you name it. There's there's a bunch of stuff there, and you know as the Giants get back some of these guys who are missing because of injury, they're going to get reinforcements and and hopefully get even better. It's going to be a while before we know exactly what this team is, but certainly this they're off on the right foot after this and, win. And how much win, Patricia, did this confidence give the the confidence level of this team go up for you in terms of where you were before the year started versus where you are now? Because this was, again, a, a game where not a lot of people gave the Giants a chance. Right. Yeah. I mean, with any team, it's kind of like you don't know what you can do until you've done it. So this team com coming in, they kind of thought that they can win. But until you actually win a game and you do so in, in, a, in a dramatic fashion, you don't really know. So I think this win gives them a lot of confidence. It certainly makes all the uh, aches and pains that the players endured feel a lot better tomorrow and, and throughout the week. And it, moreover, it puts some pep in their step because, you know, look, when you constantly lose, 
ultimately you start seeing guys checking out. You see guys starting to make business decisions. You don't see the growth in a team that you want to see. When they start to win or at least be competitive, then you have a better chance of seeing the growth and the development that, you know, you're looking for in a team. And I think for a team that, again, like the Giants were trying to find an identity with the new coaching staff, this is a great first step for them. And if you want to hear more about the Giants, win, be sure to check out Patricia's work on the Locked On Giants podcast. Again, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, free and available on all platforms. Patricia, I appreciate you hopping on with me. Thanks so much. What a game it was for the New York Giants squeaking out that win. Saquon Barkley looked phenomenal. Daniel Jones did his part as well, and it gives the Giants confidence. So we'll see what they'd be able to do with that moving forward. Coming up here on the show, we're going to be diving into our conversation with Chris Carter of Locked On Steelers and just how Pittsburgh was able to escape Cincinnati despite forcing five turnovers on Joe Burrow. So be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to talk about here on the show. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about Brightco. And we've all seen the engagement fails on the internet. You certainly don't want to be that guy. And you certainly don't want to spread it all, all over the internet as well. The guys at Brightco Jewelry Insurance will make sure you get a replacement for the full value of that ring, no matter if it's lost or stolen, or you just can't figure out what happened to it. And insurance can be a pain to deal with sometimes. The guys at Brightco turn the whole experience around. So it's probably the easiest thing you can do for yourself this week. There are no excuses. For five bucks a month, you can get totally comprehensive coverage and it won't take you more than two minutes on your cell phone. Go check it out. Bright.co forward slash locked on. We're back here. Kevin Allstriker, your host, still here with you. And again, thank you so much for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, follow us in audio form. But now we're going to be diving into just how the Pittsburgh Steelers pulled off this miraculous, incredible win. Cincinnati scores a touchdown to tie the game with six points with one second remaining on the clock. You know, time that's firing on the clock and you have Evan McPherson coming out for an extra point, and it's blocked. The game goes to overtime. So then there's all this craziness that goes on. We're going to be talking with Chris about how Pittsburgh escaped, the injuries the Steelers are going through now as well, a couple of big names getting injured. Let's dive into that conversation now. Well, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cincinnati Bengals went through an instant classic in week one of the 2022 season. Here with me to break it all down is Chris Carter, the host of Locked on Steelers. And Chris, I want to first check in and just ask how you are and what emotions you were going through watching that game. Because we saw Miss field goal after Miss field goal, five turnovers forced by this Pittsburgh defense, and they just eke out a win here right before the game ends in a tie. Man. Like I'm sweating, bro. Like I'm just, I'm just sitting here. Let it be known. I also cover pit football. They went into an overtime con contest. They lost, but it was, it was such an incredible fight from, from Mike Tomlin's team. And that's the biggest takeaway I have right now. One, a lot of people who doubted Minka Fitzpatrick last year, because his interceptions weren't as high or this, that, and the third. I hope those people can sit down now because his pick six on the second second play of the game from the Bengals offense immediately you know set a tone for this defense he had multiple breakups he had he led the team with 14 tackles also blocked the extra point that got them to overtime he just continues to find ways he's a great football player and the whole time he wasn't just making plays kevin he was talking like you know joe mixon he would he like he had a, a play where he kind of ran over terrell Edmonds, and make of his patrick came up and said don't you say nothing and the next play he lit him up in the hole and it was just like he set a tone for the steelers the entire game so a uh, remarkable effort from them uh I, I think you combined for seven sacks on this defense which i mean sure the steelers that's what they do they get sacks they've led the nfl in sacks for five straight seasons um, but like this was on another level, 
TJ Watt only got one of them, and we'll talk about his injury in a bit. But you know, Alex Highsmith, who I said this is going to be his coming out year, three sacks in this game, ridiculous. Just you know, he just he, he continued to make plays. Uh, Cam Hayward getting in the backfield, he got a sack. Even had a cornerback, Arthur Mallette, come in and get a sack. This was just every which way they found a way to to, to get to make plays. They did. Uh, you had interceptions from Minka Fitzpatrick, Akella Witherspoon, TJ Watt, and Cam Sutton on top of the forced fumble um, by by Alex Highsmith that was recovered. Uh, by uh, by by Cam Hayward, just this is what this this is what Mike Tomlin dreamed up was to say, hey, this defense is going to be elite. It's going to carry you to wins. Yes, Mitch Trubisky is going to struggle, but this defense can win football games, and they proved it right in the middle of Cincinnati. They did, and you know that they really kept Cincinnati in check on the ground. Joe Burrow throws this ball fifty three times on Sunday, and yep. you have the four interceptions, the one fumble that he lost. He did have two fumbles overall. Chris, how are the Steelers able to rattle Joe Burrow so much? And while the final stat line for him, you know, 338, two touchdowns, looks okay, you, you cannot ignore the four interceptions. It's just how rattled he looked throughout the entire game. You can't. And and, and uh, the, the passer rating shows that. He had a 61.7 passer rating at the end of the day. And, you know, if you're the Bengals, I, I said this all week leading up to this game. The Steelers, their key is to stop Joe Mixon. Don't let him crush them in this game. 27 carries, 82 yards. I'm not an average guy off the top of my head, but that's not great. You know, that's you know that that's that's a lot less than four yards per carry. They made him a minimal fact, and 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 a lot of those yards, 31, came on a fourth fourth and one play where the Steelers stacked the box and he just hit the right seam. You take that away, he had 50 yards on like six on. 26 carries that's a dominating day from the Steelers rushing defense and I think that I said it all week that balance if you take that balance away from Joe Burrow he looks a lot more human and then you start getting the pressure you don't let him just sit in the backfield a lot was made pro Pro football focus ranked this Bengals offensive line before they played a single snap they're going to be a top 10 offensive line in the league they were tossed around like ragdolls by the Steelers defense they got after him they hit Joe Burrow and I'll tell you he eventually recovered when the pressure stopped coming as much but through about two and a half to three quarters of this game, Joe Burrow started to look down, like look, look down at his line before he was looking upfield. He was checking to see where the Steelers coming from this time. That is where they started to get to him. Also, Terrell Austin, the Steelers' new defensive coordinator, he fooled the, he fooled Joe Burrow a lot in this game. There were a lot of coverage switches, opted around. They 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 had three cornerbacks they felt really comfortable with starting in Levi Wallace, Akella Witherspoon, and Cam Sutton. Two of those guys in Witherspoon and Sutton had interceptions, and uh, and Levi Wallace had a crucial defended play where he stopped Jamar Chase from getting a touchdown uh, on a fourth down late in the late in the game. Just time after time, this defense found ways to rise, rise rise up. And I think a lot of it was the schematics on the back end to confuse Joe Burrow, the pressure that never let him get settled, and the run defense that never allowed him to get any balance from the rest of his team. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about a defensive performance that really was so dominant for most of this game, really all of the game. You would think the Steelers would go out there and win by three, four possessions. But this is a game that, again, almost ended in a tie. Chris Boswell has to nail a field goal to end this Pittsburgh wins 23-20. to 20. I think part of this had to do with the offense, Chris. Absolutely. How would you grade Mr. Trubisky's first start here with Pittsburgh? C minus. I don't give him a D or anything lower because he. I believe he did what the Steelers have, have asked all season, all off season. I said, Mr. Trubisky's number one job this year will be to not turn the ball over and to take what's there. Now, the first part absolutely did it. Do it thirty-eight times, no turnovers. You're happy with that? Yeah, you know, I think if you're the Steelers, you're like, okay, that part. Now, 
Did he do enough to necessarily win the game on his own? In the last drive in overtime, he did. You know, he was able to roll out, hit Pat Fryermuth on the move. He was able to throw a, a pass to Deontay Johnson. That was, you know, it was, it was up there, but Deontay Johnson made a great catch, one of the catches, I, best catches I think we'll see this year. Um, but at no time did, did Mitch Trubisky scare the Bengals into anything. You know, the the Steelers, they had, he threw one touchdown pass to Najee Harris when they had a short field. Um, and then he had he led that field goal drive. Other than that, this was a defensive win. I don't put too much against Trubisky because again, first game, new offense on the road. Najee Harris went down late in this late, late in this game. You know, I, I want to see how he grows from this, but uh, certainly, I don't think it will stop any of the Kenny chants that will be coming from Steelers fans next week when they return home to play the Patriots. But yeah, Mitch Trubisky, I, I give him a C minus him because I, I think he was limited for a reason. They knew, hey, this defense can win this game against the Bengals. Don't you lose it? And to his credit, he didn't. Yeah, and starting off with the mixed extra point, Chris, just take me through that all the way till the end of the game. What were the range of emotions you went through here because you had the missed 29-year field goal by Evan McPherson that you thought, hey, this is a, this is a shoe and this is a gimme. Then Chris Boswell doinks it off the upright. I mean, what were you going through in terms of just the, oh, they're going to win, they're going to lose, they're going to win, they're going to lose? I, I'd say it went from, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. If I was to do a Mick or Rick Smith, I, I said that probably a billion times. It's funny because the, the Minka Fitzpatrick blocked extra point. He did that to Green Bay last year in a play that was, was overturned and later was shown was a bad overturn. It was a game where he blocked a field goal. The Steelers returned it for a touchdown for it. And it eventually they gave the bank, the Bengals are like, excuse me, the Packers and offsides that helped the Packers win in a 10 point swing in a game that they won by 10 points. This time around, he gets it. There's no call. It's not overturned. And it's in the perfect moment. Again, Mika Fitzpatrick, I, I think this was a signature game for him. He said on Saturday when someone asked, he's like, I don't like none of the guys on the Bengals. He's like, I don't care. And all game long, when Joe Mixon was running the ball, he'd hit him. He would talk. When Jamar Chase was trying to talk smack, he would get back in his face. Like He would bark right back at him. And the whole game, he was hitting with authority. He was making plays. He had the pick six to set the tone. Um, had a breakup in the end zone late in the fourth quarter. That was huge. And, of course, the blocked extra point that sent them to overtime in the first place. Phenomenal part on his part. And, um, and you know, it just it, to, to, to fully answer your question in overtime, you're just thinking, man, can the offense just get a play, just a play to get in themselves in field goal range? They got themselves in field goal range once. Chris Boswell with a very uncharacteristic miss. Yes, it was 55 yards, but that guy's been, you know, I've always said it, Justin Tucker, Chris Boswell, 1A, 1B. And Chris Boswell missed one, and that, it was a, such a shocker to people in Pittsburgh. But then the Bengals missed one. He gets a second chance. He hits it from 53. Um, and it was just, it's remarkable. But I think it's outside of the X's and O's. This is why people say Mike Tomlin is a great leader of men. There were several calls I thought were very controversial in this game that favored the Bengals time and time again, gave them extra first downs when they were clearly not getting them, uh, holding penalties on T.J. Watt and, and Alex Highsmith and Cam Hayward that just weren't being given to them. And yet every time the Steelers found a way to rise back up from it, they didn't allow it to get to get to them. And even when they gave up the touchdown at the end of the game, you saw them saying, hey, there's an extra point. They still have to hit that to win the game. And they didn't. Um, and so I just I think this is a big sign of what Mike Tomlin does to motivate his players to to go out there and find any way they can to win. Yeah, and the Steelers pick up a huge win, but they don't come out unscathed. This right. T.J. Watt suffers an injury. I have Najee Harris leaving the game. A couple others. Chris, what can you tell us about those injuries right now? 
So Najee Harris did have a, uh, I was saying, excuse me, a sprained Liz Frank during camp that kept him out for basically like three and a half weeks. Um, and it was, it was said he was, his foot was stepped on for the longest time. He told me to my face, it was a, it was a sprained Liz Frank and that's what kept him out. And it wasn't that his foot got stepped on, but I saw him reaching for his foot after that injury made me think that that got re-aggravated or I don't know how Liz Frank injuries work. I actually have a, a doctor who will be coming on my show on the Tuesday episode uh, on the Locked On Steelers to kind of talk about that and TJ Watt's um, torn pec, uh, which is believed that TJ Watt has a torn pec. And that's, of course, the injury everyone's looking at. Now, he's it, it, you couldn't I couldn't tell what he said. Some people thought he said, I have a torn pec or I have a, I threw out my shoulder. It's reported from Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport that the Steelers believe he torn his pec. If he tears his pec, as far as I understand, that's his season. I don't think you come back from that. Now, it's very early in the season. If they're like in a playoff hunt and maybe he comes back late December, early January, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not I'm not a medical expert. I'm going to get one uh, a doctor who's going to come on, on my show. Um, but in all seriousness, um, you know, if, if he's out, it's the biggest blow you could deal to the Steelers because he is what drives that defense. And granted, yes, everyone's playmakers, Cam Hayward, Larry Ogundobi had a good game. Devin Bush also had a very good game. I'll say um, Alex Highsmith had three sacks, but TJ Watt, I mean, the, the interception that he had in this game, he literally just jumped into the air. Joe Burrow thought he had a quick, quick pass. He caught it in his chest and brought it down. Um, he, he's a, he's a remarkable human being. The Steelers, if he's down for a long time, they should go get somebody, maybe a Jason Pierre-Paul, just somebody to get back out on that edge and help them. Um, but right now, it's not looking great for, for T.J. Watt. Levi Wallace left the game early, uh, didn't return. Najee Harris, of course, we got to see what's going on with him. Lots of questions for the Steelers on the injury front right now, and everybody's eyes are on T.J. Watt. Yeah, well, they certainly have injury questions, but they do pull out that big victory again, 23 to 20 over Cincinnati in overtime. And if you want more analysis on the TJ Watt injury or Mr. Biscay or anything else, be sure to check out the Locked On Steelers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, free and available on all platforms. Chris, I appreciate you joining me here. Thanks so much. At the time of this recording, it's still not confirmed that TJ Watt has a torn pec or whatever his injury is. But if it is, it would be, as Chris said, a very big blow to that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. But they do get the win. They come out of Cincinnati 1-0 and tied for the division lead right now in the AFC North. Coming up, though, we're going to be diving into a conversation with Cody Davis talking about the Texans who tied with the Indianapolis Colts, both teams 0-0-1. So be sure to stay tuned. We still are going to talk about a ton here on Locked on NFL. But first... Do want to tell you a bit about Prize Picks and Fantasy's been in my life for a super long time. Been doing it for really as long as I can remember. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. And Prize Picks though can be a little different in, in a really good way. It's really easy to use. You can have a ton of current entries. And how it works is you can pick two to five players, and if they will go score more or less in their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to ten times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport you watch. That includes the NFL, the NBA. You have MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, and more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's really that easy. They have safe and fast withdrawals. And they're currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the Prize Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKED. Don't if you deposit $100. Price Picks will give you $100. You deposit $50. Price Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. We're back here with our final segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Allstriker, your host, still here with you again. Thank you so much for tuning in today, making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. 
But now be sure to make your second listen, the Peacock and Williams NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's really available wherever you get your podcast. But rounding out this episode today, we're going to talk about a tie in the NFL. I know ties can be super, super rare, but we've already got one in the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts. Houston had this game in the bag. And they end up squandering a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter. They can't get it done in overtime as well. So now them and the Colts both 0-0-1. We're going to talk with Cody Davis now about what it means for the Texans and just how they let that lead slip away. But we have our first tie already of the NFL season here to talk about it with me is Cody Davis, one of the hosts over at Locked On Texans. The Texans tying up with the Colts 20-20 to in a game that it looked like the Texans had control of the entire way. A fourth quarter collapse, Indianapolis outscoring the Texans 17 to nothing in that fourth quarter. Cody, how did this fourth quarter collapse happen? Because the Texans weren't given a shot in this game, but they really stuck into the Colts. It was just the fourth quarter. It, it all went awry. Yeah, look, first and foremost, you got to look at it like this. And this has been one of the issues that I've always had with the Houston Texans. It didn't matter if it was the Bill O'Brien era, the David Cully era, and not a Lovey Smith era. It seems like every time the Texans get a big lead, they get too complacent and too conservative with their play calling on the offensive side of the ball, and it always ends up biting them in the behind. Everyone remembers the, the terrible conservative play calling early against the Chiefs. It happened last year against the New England Patriots, week five, and that that was the game it seemed like once they lost that game the season was done and it was the same thing with this game they got the lead they was up 20 to 3 and they just they just started to get too complacent with their play calling on the offensive side of the ball and that just led to the offense not getting nothing done the defense is always out there and that is part of the reason why the Indianapolis Colts was able to go out there and outscore the Texans 17 nothing in the fourth quarter. By the way, I also want to mention, this is an Indianapolis Colts team, because the defense got tired, then went out there and recorded 214 yards, 14 first downs, and three scores. Of course, the field goal, and of course, two touchdowns. So, yeah, it's, once again, it's like, why are we here? And, you know, you're talking about it. I mean, we saw, like, the flea flicker to Brandon Cooks. Like, we, we saw some creativeness and aggressiveness there. But the run game, Cody, wasn't really working throughout the entirety of the game. I mean, the team averaged 2.8 yards as a whole. Rex had led the team in carries and yards 14 for 40. But we had heard so much about Damian Pierce throughout the entire offseason, how good he was looking, you know, the running back one for the Texans. And then Burkhead ends up getting the lead role. For this game, at least, Pierce did end up having 11 carries and 33 yards, so definitely more of like a timeshare split between the two. But was that what you were expecting heading into this game? No, but my co-host John Hickman said it best. You know, he believed that, you know, because the Texans was trying so many new things out on the offensive side of the ball with a new play caller and Pep Hamilton, perhaps they had more trust in Rex Burkhead. I do agree with that statement. However, Rex Burkhead is not talented. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to defend the guy, offend the guy, whatever the case might be. But Rex Burkhead, for the second year in a row, he has not shown us anything. It don't matter if you're trying to utilize him in a run game. It don't matter if you're trying to utilize him as a pass catcher, whatever the case might be. The man is just not talented. And as long as they keep Rex Burkhead in the lineup, giving him more touches than Damian Pierce. 
we're going to continue having games like this where the Houston Texans collapse or they just get blown out the window. But I did not expect to see um, Rex Burkhead have more carries and be utilized and be favored more so than Damian Pierce. Understanding he's a rookie, he has a, a, a lot, a, a lot of a ways to go in his career before he could really establish himself as the lead running back. However, at the end of the day, there was multiple times where I felt like the Houston Texans should have utilized Damian Pierce, especially on the play where it was fourth and third, which everybody is debating whether or not Lovey Smith made the right decision to point out he should have went for it. In my opinion, I agree with him because the offense wasn't doing anything, but at fourth and third, Damian Pierce should have been your lead back right there. He would have been able to pick up those three yards, but you went out there, you was rocking with Rex Burkhead, and of course he wasn't able to do so. Right, and that's where I wanted to go with you next, that decision to punt the ball away. Obviously, you're doing that if you're Levy Smith. You're hoping for a tie, right? You you punt that ball away. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not getting it back. You have one opportunity on that fourth and three to get a first down and, and then trot out the field goal kicker to try to – for the entire NFL, it was a rough day for kickers overall, so maybe you're <laughs> testing your luck over there. But you mentioned the kind of like the, the do's and don'ts of doing that, where you can be aggressive, but at the same time, Lovey Smith takes a conservative approach. Can you kind of go into more detail about why you would have chosen the approach you would have chosen? Well, look, I, I, I and I said this on the show on, on Locked on Texans, of course, that I agree with Lovey Smith because you have to look at everything that led up to that moment. I mean, first and foremost, a lot of people just want to focus on that one moment. I'm looking at this from a standpoint. No, 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 no. That's not what we're about to do. We're not about to focus on whether or not Lovey Smith made the right decision because, once again, when you was up 20 to 3, you literally gave up 214 yards on the defensive side of the ball in the fourth quarter. Your offense that went out there and scored those 20 points in the first three quarters, you didn't score nothing. You, I think they only recorded like one or two first downs in the whole entire fourth quarter leading up to that moment so yes we could sit here and say you know lovey smith did or made the right decision or whatever the case might be we could say all that but at the end of the day you have to look at the factors that led the led the texas into that decision and that's exactly what coach lovey smith talked about in his post-game press conference and that's why i sit here today saying i 100 agree with him because on one on one side of the ball your offense could not establish anything because you got too conservative took them out the out the rhythm and on defense and look the defense played a really good game going into the first fourth quarter but and Kevin, as you know, if your defense is con- is constantly on the field because your offense can't sustain drive, they're going to eventually get tired, and that's what happened. And look, had they went forward, got stopped, turnover on down, that's a Hall of Fame quarterback on the opposite side of that line of scrimmage by the name of Matt Ryan, correct? I'm pretty sure he was going to be able to put the Indianapolis Colts in a great position to leave NRG Stadium with a victory. There's another guy on the offensive side of the ball. I think his name Jonathan Taylor. Didn't he literally just lead the whole NFL in rushing last year? By the way, this is also a guy that recorded over three, almost 300 yards on the Texans last year. I'm pretty sure he was also going to put the Indianapolis Colts in a great position to leave NRG Stadium with a victory. So, look, we could go back and forth and be like, it was a good decision. It was a dumb dumb decision, whatever the case might be. I agree with Coach Lovey's decision because at the end of the day, they should not have blown a 20-3 to lead in the fourth quarter. Right. You, you wouldn't be in the situation if you had just, you know, tightened up a little bit, not so much conservative play calling. But, Cody, the Texans put a lot of trust in Davis Mills this season to go out there and lead them to some victories. I mean, what was your overall impression here of his first game? Incomplete. 
if I had to grade it, I would say incomplete because yes, he did go out there and do some. He, he went out there and did some great things. Don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, I'm looking at this from a standpoint, and everybody in the city of Houston is talking about this. You know, the the Texans they say they are fully committed to Davis Mills for this upcoming season, and everyone is looking at this from a standpoint of if Davis Mills go out there and showcase what he can do. He's going to win the starting job for the Houston Texans for beyond the 2022 campaign. But he did not do a good job making his case in his very first game. And I know it's only one game, but at the end of the day, when we go back and we take a look at how he ended last season in those last five games, when we go back and we take a look how take a look at how good he looked doing voluntary OTAs, mandatory mini camps, training camp. Like he looked really good throughout all of that and it's like, "Okay, Maybe the Houston Texans are working with something. But, and my co-host John made a really good point, after the Indianapolis Colts missed that field goal and it seemed like the Texans were still a little bit too conservative as you ha literally have an opportunity to at least get this team in field goal range, it seemed like the Texans do not and did not trust Davis Mills. And if you cannot go out there and trust your starting quarterback, even if it is just the first game of the regular season, then we really have a big issue. He had a couple, he, he made some throws that I, you know, just shaking my head like uh, a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. You know, there was this one, a big debate here in the city of Houston, um, the incomplete pass attempt that he threw to Chris Conley. Some people think it was Conley's fault. Some people think it was Mills' fault. I think it was Conley's fault because, you know, the, the pass wasn't really that great, but as a wide receiver, you should be able to still make that easy catch if nobody's on you. But I say all that just to say, you know, I don't know how to feel about Davis Mills' first game of 2022. Hopefully it gets better. Right, and I know for Texans fans all over, definitely frustrating to have that 17-point lead and blow it in the way that they did. But in a game that, again, not a lot of people gave the Texans a chance to even be competitive <laughs> in, they were able to go out there and force this Colts team to a tie. Well, who were some positives that stuck out to you throughout the game? Well, even though I talked a lot about them, you know, what they did in the fourth quarter, and I really feel bad because the defense actually played a really good game because going up into this, going up into this first game against the Indianapolis Colts, of course, going up against Jonathan Taylor, as I mentioned, this is a guy who almost recorded 300 yards on the Houston Texans defense all last week. Coach Lovey Smith, his son, who is the linebacker coach, Miles Smith, um, other players on the defensive side of the ball, John Gennard, Jerry Hughes. Like, so many people talked about all of the upgrades and the enhancements that they made to their run defense. And they did a really good job containing Jonathan Taylor because going into the fourth quarter, this was a guy that only had 85 yards going into the fourth quarter so they did a really good job they did a really good job containing matt ryan they did a really good job covering the the, the wide receivers like this defense did a really good job however it just sucks because when you take a look at the collapse that they had in the fourth quarter that is why jonathan taylor has 161 yards to close out the game and i just wanted to just point out the whole entire defense as a whole because when you go back and you take a look at what those numbers say in those box sheets, it does not, it, it doesn't summarize how good they play on that defensive side of the ball. And that's from everybody to so the front forward, the linebackers, the secondary, everybody played good on the, on the defensive side of the ball until that fourth quarter. Yeah, and so with the Texans tying up against the Indianapolis Colts 20-20. to 20. For more, if you want to hear more about this Texans tie, be sure to tune into the Locked On 
Podcast Network with Locked On Texans. Cody and John over there do a great job. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, of course. Free and available on all platforms. Cody, I appreciate you hopping on with me here today. Houston wasn't really given a chance in this game. A lot of people saw Matt Ryan coming over. Obviously, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor. But Houston, to their credit, did a good job and really should have won this game. It was just unfortunate for them. They squandered away that lead. That's all I have for you here today on Locked on NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. When we get back here tomorrow, we'll be diving into more content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and we will see you right back here tomorrow.